values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, a frequent conversation about crime and punishment here on the show. We talk about it a bit of, of law enforcement. They have to be fully staffed. They have to be able to make arrests, and they have to have the officers to do the investigations. But working hand-in-hand is also working with prosecutors that have the staff that they need to prosecute those cases, take them to court, and make sure the criminals get punished for the crimes they commit. Uh, joining us right now is the interim uh, county attorney, Rachel Mitchell. Uh, welcome back to the show, first of all. Thanks for doing this. Uh, thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, we've often talked on the show about other places in the country where there, is, there seems to be a revolving door, no bail, seems to be no punishment, no accountability for criminals. It's frustrating to law enforcement, frustrating to the citizens. So you're taking some steps in Maricopa County to make sure some of this doesn't happen here. Absolutely. Um, as I'm right now out at the uh, conference for the League of Cities and Towns, and we're talking about our steps uh, to combat organized retail theft. And uh, we're also going to be releasing a policy today regarding gun violence. So as far as when you talk about organized retail theft, we're talking about those smash and grabs we keep seeing all over the country. We're talking about a number of things. Uh, We're talking about groups of individuals who are going from store to store to steal things um, and actually fund additional criminal activity. We're seeing people coming in from other states uh, into our state, from the Vegas area, Los Angeles, Albuquerque. And so we talked to the League of Cities and Towns uh, groups this morning about what we're doing to combat that. So what, what is the policy? What are you going to be doing? So the policy that we're unveiling today is related to gun violence. Um, In the 10-day period at the end of August, August 19th to the 29th, we got submittals for 16 homicides in the Maricopa County Attorney's Office, and 15 of those cases involved guns. That's just completely unacceptable. I do not want to see Maricopa County become another Chicago. And... uh, as you know, we're partnering with the Phoenix Police Department to crack down on gun crimes. And so we are going to be uh, unveiling a policy that if a gun is used in the commission of a crime or if somebody is a unlawful possessor of a gun, they are going to go to prison. So and, and I, that's one of the things we've been advocating for here on the show. And a lot of people it just makes common sense. But the other part of this for your office that you and I have talked about in the past has been staffing. So since the Phoenix Police Department has made over 500 arrests just since July, when it comes to this gun crime, this this unit focusing on gun crimes, what does that do to the staffing issues in your office? Can you handle that kind of increase in arrest and prosecutions? Well, as you know, Mike, we have been working very aggressively to recruit people, and I am happy to report that by the end of the year, we will have dropped from a 20% deficit to under 10%. But really, to ignore this is a false economy, because if you start ignoring gun violence, you're going to have even more crime committed. And so we want to take steps from the very uh, beginning to make sure that that doesn't happen. And frankly, there's no more important duty uh, of the county attorney than to make sure the community is safe. And that means protecting lives. And what is the policy on repeat offenders, especially repeat offenders that are violent criminals? Uh, We have policies that uh, pertain to all sorts of uh, people who repeat offend. And we have 
uh, laws that address that, but uh, oftentimes those are going to involve prison pleas as well. Obviously, we're going to look at the type of crime um, and distinguish between something that involves violence, uh, safety to the community issues versus somebody who is having a substance abuse issue. And um, when you when you sat down and looked at all of this, how quickly do you think this can start to turn around where criminals are going to start getting the words in Maricopa County that this is not the place to get caught with an illegal gun or to commit a violent crime? Well, as you know, Mike, I've been in the office for uh, 30 years and I've seen policies like this unveiled in the past. Uh, the former county attorney, Rick Romley, unveiled uh, a similar policy, and we did see a turnaround. And people need to know that we are serious about this, and we're going to be asking for them to be uh, high bond, to, be stay, to stay in jail so that they're not out committing more violent offenses, and that will cut down on it. And then we are going to be asking for prison, and the word will get around. I'm confident of that. Well, I appreciate the update, and I hope you'll come back as this progresses. I would love to hear how it's working in the coming weeks. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. All right. That is Rachel Mitchell. She is the interim county attorney. She's running for the office as well. And uh, and the new policy change getting tougher on people that are committing violent crimes, especially with guns. There were, I think, 17 shootings last weekend and 11 homicides in Phoenix. Um, we have been and I have bragged about this for years. We have been a relatively safe major city and we are starting to see the tables turn a bit. And so to be proactive in this regard, when other places are going in the opposite direction, seems to be the right thing to do, and I hope it works. And for all of us out there that are voters, um, you vote for a you vote for a city council representatives, you vote for county supervisors, you vote for people whose job it is to uh, approve budgets and spend your tax dollars. When we hear people say that we are um, – uh, pro public safety, whether it's first responders, uh, firefighters, paramedics, things of that nature, or it's law enforcement. When they say they're pro public safety, public safety first, we have to hold them accountable to that. And part of it also is funding that the, that the Maricopa County Attorney's Office, whoever wins that office, has the tools necessary, including the budget, to hire enough people to prosecute these cases. Because when the cops make a case and they are able to do the follow up investigation, make an arrest, dot the I's, cross the T's and it gets submitted and there's a backload of cases uh, or backlog of cases. They don't have the and the prosecutors are cutting deals because they don't have the people to get them to trial on time. That's not good for anyone. And so I think we as citizens have to see this as a a two tiered uh, approach. And one is law enforcement on the streets where we have enough people to make the arrests and make the cases, but also in the prosecutor's offices, whether it's at the city level or at the county level that they have enough of a staff that when they get these arrests in, they can take them to trial. They're not forced into some kind of a deal because they got to get something done. I, I think that would be valuable for all of us. Going to shift to the economy, a story I talked about yesterday involving a major retailer. And also we're going to talk about gasoline prices for the Labor Day weekend. All that's coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us. I, I, I gave you this headline yesterday. Bed Bath & Beyond closes 150 stores. Bed Bath & Beyond, to avoid bankruptcy, is laying off 20% of its staff and is closing 150 stores. Um, this may be the cash-strapped company's last bite at the turnaround Apple, uh, lest it joins a one-time rival Linens and Things in the retail refuge bin, according to Axios. Um Their sales have plummeted by 25% in the first quarter of 2022. And here's part, and this is where the issue, I think, for companies that may be very good, well run companies, when the economy starts to tighten and when people begin to tighten the belt, it isn't just that they buy. Uh, they they don't buy you know the name brand cereal for their kids. They buy the store brand cereal for their kids. They also have to give up some of the creature comforts of life that we all enjoy. And Bed Bath and Beyond is one of those places for a lot of people. And so you find different ways to get the products you need at a lower price, and it drops significantly. Now I don't know this to be true about other companies, but I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say uh, a company like Harley Davidson. Um, I have no idea. I didn't look. I'm just saying I own a motorcycle and I love my motorcycle, but you don't go out and shop for a motorcycle because that usually is kind of um, that is a, a something you don't need. It's not a necessity. You go out and you buy one because it's fun to ride. They're not inexpensive, by the way. Um, and you buy something like that when you have extra money or you know that you can go into debt and you're going to be able to pay that off and still pay your bills. So those are the areas where people sometimes they're very strong companies. But when the economy goes in one direction or another, now now, there are going to be wealthy people that are going to buy and buy and buy. That's true. But other people where um, I'll say a wealthy person says, hey, I want a motorcycle. A working class person says, you know what? My dream is to own a motorcycle. So I'm going to save my money and I'm going to buy one. When that opportunity isn't there or when you're concerned about being able to pay your bills, that priority goes out the window and you go and do other things. And so we're seeing some of this happening. Hiring is slowing a little bit. We have seen a a decrease in unemployment applications, which is a very good sign. The, The only silver lining we've been able to see in the economy has been the number of jobs that are out there, that people are still able to get a second job if they need to to keep their heads above water. Wages have stayed high. That's good, but inflation is crushing the average American family and a lot of these retailers that are not selling necessities. And when you look what Walmart did, Walmart is already putting out their list of Christmas toys. It was August. I mean, it was August when they were doing this. Putting out a list, you know, their Christmas wish list for kids, trying to get you to spend your money now. Worried about the recession is what some predictors are saying. So these are indicators that people in the big businesses and the people that are looking at trends in the future, this is what they're worried about. And you can't blame them. You know, all the signs are there. What will be done to offset this when I not offset the problem, but offset the the concern we have? How about gas prices? Um, you know, here in Arizona this weekend, there's a lot of travel that happens on Labor Day weekend. And what is going to happen with um, with gas prices? So uh, despite prices on the decline, some people are still wary of taking road trips. This is a story from the USA Today. Um, and gas is still very high. Um, the national average is at 384. Um, so that is down from the from a very high price of over five bucks a gallon. Uh, the Midwest and the Southeast have the least expensive gas. Um, gas prices 
around here. Arizona, regular unleaded, the average around the state is $4 a gallon. Mid-grade is $4.28. Premium is $4.56. Diesel is still at $5 a gallon. Um, I don't know that that's the new normal, and I hate that term as much as everyone else does. But we have to take a look at diesel fuel because that's a refining issue and a production issue as much as it is anything else. And what are we doing in those industries? Because all the things that we use are delivered by vehicles. I should say all, but the vast majority are delivered in vehicles that use diesel fuel. And when you think about um, the tractors that are out there harvesting and then put on trucks that take them to market, you're looking at huge increases that may not be going away anytime soon. So just a quick update on what's happening, because for a lot of people, this is going to be a significant issue heading into the holidays. Um, My biggest concern as we head in that direction is if the people are still feeling the severe pinch of inflation, especially when it comes to food, when the food supply is in short supply, when prices go up and you're having to spend all of your money on the necessities, the holiday season is going to be rough for the retail world. And I'm not, this is not me predicting this as some, you know, I, I'm as, uh, I'm as uh, ignorant as any other consumer on how things happen sometimes. But I reach out to the experts I know, and that's the big concern for retailers. Waiting to get through COVID, waiting for things to normalize, waiting for the supply chain issue to come to an end so that you could finally get back and get a full bite of the apple. And here we're coming into the holiday season and the retail customer is broke because they're spending all their money and their lines of credit on keeping their heads above water financially is going to be crushing to a lot of those retailers. So that's what I'm going to be keeping my eye on as we move forward uh, toward the holidays. And hopefully, hopefully I'm wrong. I would love to see robust spending on the holidays and really be a Black Friday in that time where retailers get back into the black. But a lot of experts are saying there's less and less chance that that's going to happen. Uh, If you remember, we talked about a story the other day that the state of California is mandating an end to gas-powered vehicles and is also dragging a couple of other states with them by a piece of legislation. Well, there is now the prediction I've made in the past about this um, is coming true, and I'm going to tell you what I mean by that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, I've been harping about this for quite a while. I am not someone that is against progress. I, I, I look at the good old days sometimes, and when I look back, I think I still I wish I still looked like that. But I, I, am, I am someone that looks at progress. And if the country and the world is moving in a direction that's better, I'm happy about it. You know, Uh, I wouldn't have been one of those people complaining about electricity and saying the television is never going to make it. Uh, I, I like progress, but you have to manage growth and you have to manage progress. And when you use it as a political tool, it makes me laugh. The state of California has said that they want to get rid of all gas powered vehicles by 2035. And I laughed when they said it. Well, here's the punchline to that story and what I've been talking about all along. California is has, uh, is warning its citizens not to charge their electric vehicles because of the electric grid and its unreliability with what the demand will be because of the heat. So 
what I've been saying all along is what's already happening in California, and they haven't even really increased to the capacity that they want to. This is going to be a nationwide push as the people demand it, and it may go state to state, but it's going to be part of the national grid. If we are going to have more and more people driving electric vehicles, and it doesn't matter what those appliances are. I've used this example before, so hear me out. Um, when I first started as an electrician, the minimum size service on a, on a home, I think, was 100 amps. Now, most people didn't put something that small in your home, but that was the minimum size electrical service, the capacity of your electrical service. I bought a home that was built in 1955. It had been remodeled, but it was built in 1955. The electric service on this home was still a 100 amp service. Now, go back to a time when people didn't have air conditioning, um, which is usually a 50 amp circuit breaker. That's more than half of your home capacity because you only build it to 80% of what you think the demand is going to be. So you've got an air conditioner with a 50 amp breaker. If you have an electric dryer, which I don't, but an electric dryer is a 30 amp breaker. So is your water heater, a 30 amp breaker, 50 amp breaker, usually for your oven in your home. So you're talking about appliances that aren't all going to run at the same time, but you add in an electric refrigerator. Some people have a freezer in their home. Now you know why the demand is we have a 200 amp service and it, take, it takes a long time. So as air conditioning became a thing in Arizona and more and more people, the electrical grid is part of the issue. Is Not only do you have to have a service on your home that can handle that demand, the neighborhood. What about your city? And what the electrical companies, what the power companies have to do to make sure the grid can meet the demand. And with the immense growth in Arizona, we are already seeing that within two years, if we don't make some changes, if we don't do certain things, that there will be some questions about the ability to handle the demand in Arizona. That's not a scare tactic. It's just what they're working on. And that's based on what current usage is. Now you start forcing people out of gas-powered vehicles, and you're moving more people into into car chargers, and you look what's happening. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to move in that direction, but to do it the way they're doing it makes no sense. This political statement in which California, and I don't even know how this works, in a piece of legislation drags Virginia with it. And so since California says they're doing it, Virginia has to do it, which their governor is fighting in court. That's all political. So the politics of this makes me crazy. What we would have to do, and that explanation should be given to the American people, if we are going to move in this direction, it's not just putting up chargers. It isn't that how do we get chargers in rural areas? How do we make it so people aren't standing around and waiting because it takes a lot of time to charge a car? How do we get enough chargers out there, public chargers, so people can charge their vehicle? It's not sticking a charger in the ground. It's what do you do with the electrical grid when all of these people start using it? That's the other part of this. It's like your old house. You have a 100 amp service on your house. Well, now you have an air conditioner. You've got an electric oven. You've got um, a microwave. You've got a refrigerator, maybe a freezer. You've got a dryer. All of these things you're adding on, at some point you have to say, we don't have enough capacity. We have to upgrade our grid in the house. We've got to put a new electric service on the house. And that's one place. California just makes this defiant statement. They plant their flag and say, we're going to have all electric vehicles. We are not going to have gas-powered vehicles in 2035 and beyond. We're not going to have the sale of those vehicles here in California. And people applauded it. And now look what's happening. 
before they've even done one thing to move in that direction. They're already warning people about the electric grid. And what are they telling them not to do? Don't charge your electric vehicle. So it's just and I'm my expertise was being an electrical contractor and we're talking minimal compared to the experts, the engineers that are out there right now trying to figure out the power grid in Arizona. And they're also going to have to factor in that, too. Not just growth, but what happens when more Arizonans buy electric vehicles? What number is that going to be? How do you handle that? So we've got a lot of decisions to make, not just in Arizona, but around this country, and it surrounds this issue. If the country is going to move in that direction, how do you make solar more viable and reliable for the delivery of power to neighborhoods? I'm not talking about panels on your roof. I mean, you know, your appliances in your house, all good ideas for people. But how do you make solar power a viable, reliable way to deliver electricity to neighborhoods and homes? And until they have that question answered, why would we be making more and more demands that they move in that direction? So we're going to tell people for political purposes, climate change or whatever else, you're going to do this. The power companies now have a mandate to get this done. And they're saying, well, we don't know that this is going to be the most reliable source yet. And so we're going to give up that kind of reliability where here heat is deadly and it doesn't make any sense. Just do it the right way. And we put the cart before the horse for political reasons. Gavin Newsom in California makes this defiant statement and environmentalists all over the country applaud and say what a great thing. And less than two weeks later, maybe less than a week later, he's warning people not to charge their electric vehicles because it might do something to the grid during this big demand period that's going on. This is the kind of stuff where as just this is not it's not a shouldn't be political. You can't put the cart before the horse. And that's exactly what they've done. In a moment, um, an update. The, there has been a case that's been ongoing where an organization, through a Freedom of Information Act request, had gone to court and lower courts had said that there's about a thousand more documents that the state Senate has that they need to reveal to the public. The Senate president in the state of Arizona said, no, there's, a, there's privilege and some of this needs to stay uh, behind closed doors, needs to stay sealed. The Arizona State Supreme Court ruled on this yesterday and the decision was unanimous. We'll talk about the unanimous decision coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Happy Thursday. One more day, and we make it to the long weekend. Appreciate you spending some time with us. So I want to go over this decision. Uh, the Arizona State Supreme Court overruled lower courts in saying that the they are saying that uh, Senate President Karen Fan and the president uh, and the Senate has the authority to hide some. They have legislative privilege over some documents. Now, to be honest with you, I'm no lawyer, so I don't know which of those some documents are. Many documents have been released through Freedom of Information Act requests. Now, lower courts have said these are public documents. You have to release them. The Senate president has said that we have legislative privilege and it needs to be maintained there so that we can do our jobs. Um, So I want to read a little bit of what the court said. The audit is a legislative activity within the legislature's authority and communications concerning this activity are covered by legislative uh, privilege. Consequently, the Senate's internal communications concerning the authorization, planning and finding of the audit investigation are privileged. 
and they can be shielded from public view. Despite the unique politicization of the audit, any purported political motive for the legislature's actions is pursuing the audit is irrelevant, according to the Supreme Court. Um, and this was everybody that talks about a stacked court. This is the other part of it that makes me laugh. The people that disagree with the court decision, when they make the right decision, well, they made a right decision. But the minute they make the decision you don't like, they're a stacked court. And, but this was a unanimous decision. Which is hard to get in any court, but a unanimous decision by the Arizona State Supreme Court. I'm someone that would love to see those documents for selfish reasons. I would love to see what was going on behind the scenes because you've heard me disagree with my party and disagree with the audit. And um, uh, I talked with someone, and I'm not going to say their name. Um, I don't want to out their name. But I talked with someone recently. That played a a role in uh, in the audit to a certain degree, and I'm not gonna. I I, pro- I promised them I wouldn't out them, um, but this person said to me, "You know what we learned from the audit?" And I said, "What?" And they said, "How not to do an audit." So it was just done poorly. And um, I I said before, we've had both sides of the political aisle swear that the election was stolen. 2016, Hillary Clinton said the Russians stole it recently. As recently as the last few months, Hillary Clinton has said publicly, we may never know the truth about 2016. Um, Stacey Abrams in in Georgia still believes the gubernatorial race was stolen from her in 2016. Um, And then in 2020, we know what we're still arguing about. So having a fair audit system, and I still think one should be developed for all of it, that we should be auditing our election system and how we do business when it comes to elections and make sure we're doing it the best way to make it easy to vote, hard to cheat. We should be doing all of those things. I don't think that's a bad, uh, you know, as you grow as technology. Technology gets better. We should be looking for new ways. But as far as this goes, they now say that the the privilege stands, that they have legislative privilege and they can hold back some of those documents. Now, what that means, I don't know. What other documents are not privileged? Because they didn't say that they could hide all of the documents. They said some of the documents. So what will be released? And, And what were they? And I'm curious, like everyone else, what don't they want us to see? And um, that isn't the answer to the question. I mean, that's not the question that should be asked by the justices. The justices are there to decide constitutionally, do they have the authority to do this or do that? And they say in this case, they do. The other side of this, though, it also expands the ability, county board of supervisors and other legislative um, leaders to do the same thing. And there is a fine line because we know that there I'm going to open up a can of worms by using this phrase classified and top secret documents that are that exist that you and I will never see. And there's a reason for that. And most Americans believe that there's good reason for it. But then there's that line that gets crossed. And when they want to use it to hide something that you should see. And that's what they're always trying to avoid. I thought this was uh, pretty interesting. Um, When the Supreme Court does something unanimously, even if you think, man, we should be able to see those documents. If it's a unanimous decision, you got to go a long way to say that they were in on some kind of a scam and a cover up. But hopefully this puts another part of this to bed. Here we are weeks away, basically, but certainly months away, a couple months away from an election in 2022. And we are still hearing stories about 2020. 
This is where the problem lies. And change has been made. There's been some legislation passed at the state level. There have been some significant changes made at the Maricopa County uh, Recorder's Office and how they process things and do things. But will it satisfy people? Because the one thing we don't want is at the end of this election in November, where we have six statewide seats that are going to be very hotly contested, to have candidates on the losing end of those elections start screaming election fraud again. And having court cases going on and on and on. We want it to be fair, but we want the the voters in Arizona to feel confident that their vote counts and that the right people win. And that goes for both sides of the aisle. That's not just one side. And it isn't tinfoil hat wearing people. That's the other part of this conversation that makes me angry. I didn't agree with the audit. And the way it was done from day one, I didn't. But I defended people saying they're not these lunatics that you make them out to be. And that's where we when we marginalize people like that because we disagree with them. I disagreed with um, Black Lives Matter and their premise and the defund the police movement. I disagreed with it. But I understood and respected their right to stand up and speak for what they believe in. I don't have to agree with someone to agree with their right to do something. So you don't demonize someone just because you disagree with them. And that's the problem is we go after people and you are holier than thou and you're smarter than they are and these are idiots. Well, let's go back to the anti-vax and anti-mask crowd that everybody demonized and said they should lose their children and lose their jobs. They turned out to be a lot more right than a lot of us. We got to keep those things in mind. Just after 10 o'clock, we're going to go back to the school's topic, test scores. Uh, Students in our schools across the nation, across every demographic, suffered mightily in reading and math skills during COVID-19, during the pandemic. How bad was it? But more so, what do we do about it is what we'll talk about.